some have said that you can accept Jesus as Savior from your sin, but not receive him as Lord of your life. Or, or to receive him as Lord of your life, you know, 15, 20 years down the road. Is Jesus just your Savior, or is he your Savior and Lord? Is he your Savior and Lord? In Luke chapter 4, we definitely know that he is a great Savior. We know that for sure. I mean, we talked about the full salvation that Jesus brought in that last chapter, a full restoration. If our bodies are cursed, then he can heal any and all diseases fully, just like he did Peter's mother-in-law. If our our minds are, are plagued by demonic lies, He can rebuke unclean spirits and command them to come out of men just like he did in the synagogue in Capernaum. Our bodies and our minds, if our souls are held captive in bondage due to sin, oppressed by the burden of the guilt of sin, Jesus is a great Savior for he preached his first sermon from Isaiah 61 where he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus Christ is a great Savior for all of you. I'm not talking about each one of us, that's true, but for all of you, your body, your mind, And your soul, it is a full salvation. A full salvation so that we can just go out and live for ourselves. No, listen. A full restoration leads to full discipleship. A full restoration leads to full discipleship. In our passage this morning... Jesus calls Peter to follow him. Peter and his close companions. He calls him to follow him fully as Savior and Lord. Turn in your Bibles back to Luke. We're back to our exposition of the book of Luke. We've had a bit of a break in 1 Peter, an important four-part series on the local church. Now we're back in Luke chapter 5, so turn in your Bibles to that place, Luke chapter 5. As you're turning there, welcome back, Pastor Dan. Glad you were safe. Fun. I always just look for your update emails. Find myself looking for them. Can't wait to read them. Can't wait for some sort of a planned update. I don't know when that would be, but I hope we have it scheduled. Luke chapter 5. Our text this morning will be verses 1 through 11. You have to understand something a little bit. Peter had already been introduced by Jesus, or to Jesus, by his brother Andrew, probably months earlier than this passage. Okay, understand that. So Peter already knows something about Jesus. He's beginning to voluntarily track the movement of Jesus and follow Jesus. But he's also a full-time fisherman. He's he's sort of in that stage where he's starting to understand that this one could very well be the promised Messiah. But we have this passage. It's only recorded in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, that records the final call of Peter. And I believe Peter's close companions and partners in fishing, James, John, and probably his brother Andrew, when they left their fishing business and became permanent, almost full-time ministry, full-time followers of Christ in ministry. So this is not the first time that Peter's heard of Jesus. Keep that in mind as we begin to read. Follow along as I read, starting in verse 1 of Luke chapter 5. 
Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's. So Simon is just another name for Peter. Okay, so this is Peter. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For amazement had seized him and all his companions because the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What does it look like to follow Jesus. That is the exact same question as this. What does it look like to be a true disciple of Jesus Christ? That is the exact same question as this. What does it look like to be a Christian? For the disciples were first called Christians at a city called Antioch. A true Christian, a true Christian is a committed disciple of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. We've heard it so often, we're bored with it. A true Christian is a committed disciple of Jesus Christ. Full restoration leads to full discipleship. So what are the components, then, of true discipleship? What are they? In this passage, there are five components. Five components of true discipleship. We're going to move quickly through all five this morning. Number one, a true disciple listens to his word in verses 1 through 3. A true disciple listens to his word. This is where discipleship must start. This is where Christianity must start. They listen to the word of Christ. Let's read it again. Look at verse 1. Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, And listening to the word of God, he was standing by the edge of the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little way from the land. And he sat down, because that's what rabbis did, is they taught from a seated position, He sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. 
The emphasis here is on Jesus the preacher still preaching the word of God, teaching the word of God. And a unique word is used. They were listening to his word. The crowd was pressing in. They were clamoring to hear the word of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Luke has not lost his big theme. Look at it. Look at verse 43 of the last chapter in chapter 4. Forget the chapter division. Here's what we find out at the end of chapter 4. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose, so he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea, and they were pressing in, verse 1, listening to the word of God. Jesus, the preacher, a disciple, a listener, a listener to the word of God. Well, Jesus, in chapter 4, liked to preach at church, in the synagogues, but we know as his ministry continued, he would preach wherever he could. He'd preach on the side of mountains, he would preach in the streets, he would preach on the countryside, and here in our passage, you know where his pulpit was? It was on a boat, pushed out to give better acoustics, so that more people could hear and listen to the word of God. Because they were longing to hear his words, clamoring to hear his words, pressing in to hear the words of authority, these words of revelation, these words of clarity. Not like the scribes would teach, quoting everybody else, but Jesus preached the word of God and with the air of authority like none other. One like a son of man with authority, preaching the word of God. Of God. And so the crowd is listening very carefully. It's probably around noon when Jesus is preaching, having pushed out from the shore. There's a couple, remember, there's a couple of Jesus preaching, the crowds are pressing in. There's a couple of fishing boats over on the side here. Jesus is preaching away, and there's some, there's Peter and his co-workers over there. They are just wiped. They are exhausted. They have been fishing all night long, and they're there washing their nets. I'm sure they got one ear open. They're listening to Jesus preach and teach. Not sure how much they were picking up as Jesus preached. They were super tired. Commercial fishermen fished all night, and now it's day. They got to clean their nets. They got to get a little bit of sleep. They got to go back at it when the night would fall. So there is Peter. Can you see him? I mean, he's type A. He's working. He's doing his work, taking care of his boat, taking care of his nets. They're washing those nets. They're removing debris from those nets so that the fish wouldn't slip through, so that those nets would last. These were not little nets. They were small casting nets. These were very large drag nets that required more than one person, several people in many cases, and a couple of boats to operate these. These nets, if you picture them, they're just huge. They have these wooden floats at the top that allow them to come up to the surface, and they've got rocks at the bottom that allow them to, to go to the bottom. And there's a, there's a cord that's pulled that entraps and closes the fish in the net, and they're hauled up. I mean, it's exhausting, tiring work. All night long, they got skunked. So not only are they tired, they're discouraged grueling work. Jesus is teaching. I'm not sure what they were hearing, but I'm sure they were listening. Everyone was listening to the voice of Jesus. I don't think it's an accident that Jesus the preacher, who states his purpose at the end of chapter 4 to preach the word of God, is continuing to preach. I think Luke is continuing that emphasis in the mission of the preaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, preaching the word of God, not preaching his opinion, preaching as one with authority, and the crowd was listening to his word. I think what Luke wants us to see at the beginning of this account about true discipleship is this. 
the beginning of any real discipleship of our Lord Jesus Christ starts with listening to the Word of God. If you are a Christian here this morning, you have heard the Word of God. You've read it. It's been preached to you. Someone explained it to you. They've, you've heard the Word about Christ. You've read it. You've heard it. And not only heard it like it's gone in one ear and out the other ear. No, a true disciples don't just hear it. There's a difference, kids. Kids know the difference between just hearing, parents at least do, the difference between hearing and listening. Listening to the Word of God. The Word about Christ. Not twisting the Word about Christ. Not redefining the Word about Christ. Christ, not skimming it over and checking it off your box, but listening to the Word of Christ, not selecting parts of the Word of Christ, but listening to the Word of God, pressing in to listen. So the question I have for you as you consider true discipleship here this morning is this, do you press in to listen to the Word of God? Do you hunger for the Word? Is there any measure of desire to hear from God in His Word? This is one of the truest marks and certainly the first mark of a true disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. A true disciple listens to the Word of Christ. Unfortunately, that means certain things for our life, some very unpleasant things from time to time. And that leads us to our second point. The second component of true discipleship, a true disciple, are you ready? Write it down if you have notes, uh, a blank from the bulletin. Number two, a true disciple obeys his command, obeys his command in verses four and five. Look at it as I read this again. Verse four, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, So they're already out, right? Simon's with him out in the boat. There's still a boat on the shore. Simon's boat went out, so he's got his pulpit in the boat. He's done with the sermon. So he says, he leans over, he says something to Simon now. You you there? When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said, Master, We worked hard all night and caught nothing. But I will do as you say and let down the nets. You have to understand what's going on here. Jesus is a carpenter. Peter is a professional fisherman. Simon says, Master, we worked hard all night. We caught nothing. James, John, and Andrew and the others were saying, Amen, nothing. We fished all night. The idea of working hard, when he says that in verse 5, it's an interesting Greek word. It's a toilsome back-breaking, continuous labor. I don't know if Peter's being dramatic. He can be. But it was hard work. He's not really wanting to go back to work when he's not going to get anything. Because at night was when you fish. At night, the sun would not be up high and it would be cooler and the fish would come in to feed and the fish would go from the very deep waters hiding from the sun and staying deep they come up into shallow waters it was much easier to catch fish at night that's when they would feed peter had done this for years peter knew what he was doing jesus could build a good rocking chair jesus might have thought but don't give me advice about fishing. And Jesus is coming and looking at him and telling him 
to do something when he is dead tired and discouraged. Anybody there? Just got done cleaning the nets, going through all that work. Now it's noon. The sun is up. The water temperature was not right. The water temperature was too hot. The fish fish have scattered. The fish are deep. More work. Jesus says, let down your nets. For what? What does Jesus say? Did you see it? Let down your nets for a catch with the commands of Christ are the promises of Christ. Don't miss it. He's not into bare bossing. With the commands of Christ is the comfort of the promises of Christ. Let down your nets for a catch, says Jesus. But Peter's struggling here. He's a professional guide, basically, and he's getting advice from a carpenter. Let me give you an example because I don't think you feel this enough. Let's say I have to go in for a heart surgery. As many of you know, I'm a doctor of chiropractic. I've done a residency in musculoskeletal imaging. I don't know anything about cardiac surgery. But what if I go up to my surgeon and I say, you know what, Bill? I'm thinking that if you do the lateral intrathoracic approach and maybe use a little bit smaller scalpel, use a little, make sure you use the proper antibiotic scrub, and I've got some recommendations, three of them, for an anesthesiologist for my surgery, and the, the heart surgeon's jaw would drop, wouldn't it? Everybody's an expert. Here's Jesus the carpenter giving him fishing advice. But Peter believes that Jesus is more than a carpenter. He believes that Jesus is the Messiah. He's growing in knowledge of who Jesus is. And he's been kind of following Jesus part-time while he does his other work. And this is Jesus, and he's seen some amazing things thus far. So I think he struggles here to believe the word of Christ. He struggles to obey the command of Christ. He doubts that it will work. Anybody there? He doubts that it will work. He doesn't feel like obeying the command of Christ. Listen, he doesn't feel like it. The emotions aren't there. It doesn't make sense to him. It's noon. Emotionally, he's exhausted. It probably is not going to work. But, the text says, this is Jesus This is Jesus. And so Peter says at the end of verse 5, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. I don't understand, but I will obey. This is faith. And this is true discipleship. I will do as you say, whether I feel like it or not. Will you obey Jesus even if you don't understand? Will you obey Jesus even if you have some doubts? Will you obey Jesus even if you don't feel like it? You know, when Jesus commands us in his word, to do certain things, and where he's talking about the religious realm, like at church, you know, I command you to preach the word. We're like, amen. We kind of amen it when he commands us to pray and fellowship and the one another's. We're not as quite as sure about that. But when Jesus starts to mess with Monday through Friday, wow. He messes with Peter's Monday through Friday job. Lord, You sure? You see, Jesus is not just Lord of your life in the synagogue or at church. He is Lord of your whole life. 
true discipleship obeys the clear commands of Christ found in his word, even when it doesn't make sense. Faith trusts Christ. It does. We assume because it's Jesus that he knows something that we don't, that he's good and wise and loving in what he asks of us. So even if it's hard, even if it hurts, even if it's exhausting, we know it is best. We trust that it is for our good. The world's going to agree with you and your feelings. And so the whole culture is screaming, don't obey Christ. That doesn't help. The devil's whispering in, it's foolish. Your flesh is tired and discouraged. The world and the flesh and the devil are trying to keep you from obeying the clear commands of the Lord Jesus Christ found in the Word of God. And it's hard. The government is so corrupt, you say, I'm not going to put this on my taxes. For crying out loud, they owe me one big time. But Jesus comes along and says, render to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. I will obey. Or you're in your early 20s and you're falling for someone. Such a great person. Treats you kind like no one has ever treated you kindly your whole life. Understands you. Much, so much in common, shares your interests. One problem the person is not a believer in our Lord Jesus Christ. And the word of Christ says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And a true disciple says, This is so hard. And there's tears that are spilt. It does not feel good, but you cut it off. Your friend says something bad about you behind your back at school, kids. And you want payback. And you want to get back at them because it hurt really bad. But you remember what one of the pastors said in 1 Peter 3, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. And you realize that's what Jesus is asking you to do. So you give a blessing to that friend And frankly, it doesn't feel good to the flesh. But we are sure that it is Jesus who is asking. And be sure of it. Be sure of it. I'm not sure you need to go to the stake for a gray area. Be sure it's the living Christ commanding you. But when we are sure that it is Jesus who is asking something of of us, and it's clear in his word, true disciples obey his commands. And you know what? We will find, and we have found that his commands are never burdensome. And we have found that the place of true joy, the place of true satisfaction is found in the aftermath of true obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. That true provision, that the abundant life that the the shepherd of our souls has promised us is found in obedience to his commands. We will never regret full obedience to our Lord Jesus Christ. Ever. And that leads me to the third component of true discipleship. A true disciple falls at his feet. In verses 6 through 10, a true disciple falls at his feet. Let's read it. Look at verse 6. Falls at his feet. When they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. 
And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For, why? For amazement had seized him and all his companions because of the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And so Peter obeyed and his companions with him, and guess what the result of obedience was that day? Because obedience always comes with the promise. It's actually in there. Did you notice that? Let it down for a catch. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fish were enclosed in the nets of Peter's boat. And Peter, you can see him, right? Loud, Peter, screaming and waving to the other boat that's still on the shore. Get out here. We need you. Get out here. And the other boat launches. Now, again, these aren't little boats. It's not a little lund, a 12-foot lund. No, these are seven and a half feet wide and about 27 feet long. And the, and the other boat comes out, and the, the fish are still coming in. They flop the fish to both boats. Both boats are filled up to the brim. The word is filled, fulfilled. It's, they're filled up to the point of overflowing, to the point where the boats begin to sink. But that day, they make it back to shore because Jesus has promised a catch, not a catastrophe. They caught several tons of fish, and I'm sure the crowd hadn't gone to Chick-fil-A for lunch. They were still there watching this whole thing. I know Peter didn't miss it if the crowd did. Peter didn't miss it. Look at verse 8 again. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Brothers and sisters, verse 5, just, this is an important thing to note. In verse 5, Simon answered and said, Master, it's a term of great respect for sure. But here, in verse 8, Peter uses a different term. He says, go away from me, what? Don't miss that. Go away from me, Lord. And the word used in the Greek Old Testament was for the divine one. It points very clearly that, that Peter was seeing a glimpse of the deity of Jesus Christ. He didn't get it all figured out that day, but he was getting a glimpse in some way that he was looking at God in the flesh. He's declaring Jesus as supreme Lord. He doesn't even know how to articulate it. He may have spoken a little bit better than he knew, but he was seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ that day. He saw the omniscience of the living Christ, that he knew where the fish were, the omnipotence of the living Christ as he guided them into the net. He was seeing the power of God. He was experiencing the holiness of Christ. And with that great provision, that great provision, the mercy and the grace and the love of God in Christ, and he falls at his feet, at his knees, the text says, because Jesus is sitting. He falls at his knees in an act of reverential awe, an act of worship. Brothers and sisters, hear me. This is at the very heart of true discipleship. A true disciple of Jesus Christ falls at the feet of Jesus. Yes, the first time when they saw His glory and their own sin and came to Him in faith. But really, this is who we are. We're always saying, Lord, I'm not sure I should be in Your presence. Do you know the sin that's there? You can see in the depths of that water, in the murky waters of the lake of Gennesaret. But you also, I know you. You can see the sinful depths of my heart, the guilt and the shame and the trying and the failing that's still happening as a believer. You know it all. You see it all. Depart from me, Lord, for I am unclean. This is really the heart 
of a true believer of Jesus Christ, there still is a reverential awe that you are a sinner, that he's the great God. And there's a sense in which maybe I shouldn't be in the same boat as you. Certainly when you got saved, that was the case. Every person who was born again in this room knows what Peter is feeling right now and has felt the depth of his or her, or her sin in the presence of a holy Christ who sees it all. I mean, does Peter just go out after seeing Christ and what he has done and just flippantly sin and just bored with Jesus and all, at all? The true disciple flippant about sin and just bored with Jesus? And he falls at his feet. His sin is exposed. Depart from me. I don't deserve to be in your presence. This reminded me of what Brian read in the scripture reading in Isaiah chapter 6. If you're fast, you can turn there. I, sorry, I don't have the page number. I need to put those down. Isaiah chapter 6. You can just listen. The heart of true discipleship is right here. It's not just the calling of an apostle of Jesus Christ in the first century. This is not just the calling of a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is at the very heart of one who loves Jesus and is called to be his disciple as well. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted with the train of his... This is Isaiah speaking. With the train of his robe filling the temple, seraphim stood above him, each having six wings and two he covered with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory, and the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out while the temple was filling with smoke. John chapter 12. Jesus says, that was me. This is me. I am the one seated upon that throne. Go read it this afternoon. The living Christ, the Lord, as Peter calls him. And Isaiah, saved certainly by then, has a fresh glimpse at his own sin and the glories of Christ. Have you? As a believer? And he says, woe is me, verse 5, for I am ruined because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. A true disciple of Jesus Christ feels his sin, hates it, knows the holiness of Christ. And is in wonder that a sinner like me could be in the same boat as Jesus. Wonder that leads to worship. The response of being in the presence of God, like Peter was, is that of humility. It is not of haughtiness. It's feeling a burden of sin. It's Sensing helplessness, knowing that you're poor spiritually. It's like Isaiah said, woe to me, for I am ruined. There's a healthy fear of the Lord. Now, I want to address everyone in this room here this morning, those listening. This is the most important question I could possibly ask you. Have you ever felt this? Have you ever felt the burden of sin and you are truly afraid of being in the presence of God. That you, that you kind of recognize that you are kind of in trouble if he could truly know you and what you have done and what you have thought and who you really are. 
Have you ever caught a glimpse like Peter did that day of his holiness, of his sovereignty, of his mercy, his power? It happened to me when I was 27, for 27 years hearing the truth, but always just playing games. And then God showed me my sin, and in the book of Galatians, showed me the glories of Christ. Every day, a true disciple of Jesus Christ falls at the feet of Jesus and marvels at him. Disciple of Christ, press in to know God in Christ. Press in. What comes to your mind when you think about God right now, A.W. Tozer said, that's the most important thing about you. Men, listen, I want, I want you to go sign up. Our men's retreat on October, Friday, October 1st and Saturday, October 2nd is built around this theme. Sign up and come apart as we behold together as men the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you want to be holy, see Jesus. Stand at awe of him, falling at his feet. This is a component of true discipleship. Next. A true disciple, and I changed it, I apologize. A true disciple joins in his mission. Just cross it out and put a new one in. A true disciple joins in his mission. Verse 10, And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear. From now on, you will be catching men. This is amazing. So Peter's falling down at Jesus' feet. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. What is Jesus supposed to do in the middle of the noon? Start walking in water and literally depart from him? Get away from me, Jesus. We're in the same boat. But look at what Jesus says. Did you see it? What does Jesus say? Do not fear. Jesus basically says, I'm not getting out. That's the gospel. The gospel is, don't be afraid. I'm staying in the boat. He doesn't say to Peter, Peter, you have such a low view of yourself. You need to have some self-esteem. He doesn't say, Peter, that's not appropriate. I'm not God. Get up. No, no. Stay in your face. He doesn't argue with Peter's assessment of himself. He says, do not fear. Join me. I'm staying in the boat. Join me. Peter and your associates, join me. Join in my mission. You are fishing for fish, Jesus says. I want you to start fishing for men. Literally, Jesus says, from now, men catching alive. Isn't that amazing? That's what the Greek text says. From now on, men, not fish, men catching alive. There's a word play here. I like what one commentator says, quotes, while fishermen snatch living fish away to their death, Peter and the other disciples will be engaged in snatching spiritually dying people away to life. End quotes. Isn't that amazing? This is the work of evangelism. Catching men for life. That's what Kent Hughes says about this passage. He nails it. What a glorious description of gospel ministry. But here's what I'm trying to say to you. This is not just for apostles like Peter. This is not just for preachers. Like Dan, this is for each and every true disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus calls to the true disciple. He says, join me. Join my mission and become fishers of men to catch men alive. Do you remember when you were caught alive? Well, I remember when one big fish was caught through the ministry of Grace Community Bible Church. (laughs) His name was Clarence Brown. He was invited to church multiple times. 
He finally came, but he drove his own car, and he had an exit strategy. He came. I was preaching in John that day, a long sermon. Aren't they all? I was preaching that day, and he came to me afterwards. It seemed like two minutes went by. I've never heard this before. For 50 years being in the church, I've never heard this before like this. And the gospel came alive to him, and he kept coming back. Pastor Don, and I'm sure his wife Shirley, who is a member here at our church, could attest to this. Clarence was indeed a sinner. No doubt about it. But he had seen his Savior. And he'd seen that this Savior was greater than all of his sin. And I can remember Clarence, he's like, I want to be baptized in obedience to Christ. His MD said, no. You got, he had bags all over the place, holes all over the place. He said, you can't do it. You're going to die. He said, I'm going to get baptized. That was Clarence. He said, you're going to have to wrap yourself in saran wrap to get baptized. He said, wrap me up. I'm getting baptized. And he was baptized. The glorious day. Catching men alive. What a privilege it is. He's starting to see to be a true disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ and to join his mission, to participate in his mission of catching men, women, and children for eternal life. Right, Dan? Are you praying for a Christian? Are you praying for and participating in catching men alive? By the way, is it going to work? How does Jesus do with his promises if you're going to have a catch? I think there's a picture here. And the two boats being filled up to overflowing. I think if you do good biblical theology and see the wineskins at the end of this very chapter and the bursting of the wineskins in the new covenant, we have great hope that the God of the harvest has a great harvest of men, women, and children for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see it even in our time, even if we feel like it's in remnant form, but there's a promise of a great harvest coming. He will give a catch, even if it's the noon of the darkness of this culture and the deepness of the water of the darkness of this culture. He has promised a catch. Let us participate in the great mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. Last, a true disciple walks in his path. This really sums it up, verse 11. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The boats were sinking. There's lots of fish. He doesn't let those fish go to waste. Peter and his friends, I'm sure, processed the fish, took care of their stuff. And all of that, they didn't just let them rot. But listen, this is kind of shocking to me. This was hands down the most successful day in their business ever. On the most successful day of their business ever, they left everything and followed Jesus. That's something. They, it's plural, because the men with Peter left as well. That is true discipleship. If you are a Christian here, in the day of God's power, you were made willing to leave your former way of life and to follow fully your Lord Jesus Christ. He is both your Savior from sin and Lord of your life. And he calls each and every one of us to take up our cross and follow him. This is the very first use of the word follow in the book of Luke. We're going to see it time and time again. Chapter 5, again, chapter 9, chapter 18. It's definitely a technical term for discipleship. And in other passages in this book, it's not just used for big A, apostles of Jesus Christ, but for all of those who would put their trust in Jesus. Make no mistake about it. Faith follows Jesus.
Fishing wasn't a bad thing to give up. It wasn't a sin or a bad habit, but here's the point. Are you willing to give up anything and everything that Jesus asked you to give up in order to follow him? That is the heart of a true disciple. You're probably familiar with Eric Little. Eric Little was a missionary to China and a great runner. And he had an opportunity as a young man to, to get into the Olympics in 1924. Unfor- he, he was a really good sprinter. He was terrible at 400 yards. But at 100 yards, he was fast, maybe the fastest at the time. Unfortunately, the trial for the 100 meters was held on Sunday. And he had firm convictions from his understanding of the Word of God. He could not run on Sunday, the Lord's Day. And so he turned it down. And he didn't feel good about it. They asked him, do you feel good about this? Do you even understand? I said, I don't feel good about it, and I don't understand it. But I'm not running. Now, as God's grace would have it, someone switched out because they wanted to see him run, and he got to run the 400, not his race. They laughed. He would peter out about 200 yards in. Right before he ran that race, an American runner gave him a note that said this, he who... He who honors me, I will honor. And Eric Little ran like the wind that day and took home gold for Scotland. Eric Little was a Christian who believed that Jesus was the pearl of great price and was willing to leave everything and to follow him. A true disciple listens to his word, obeys his command, falls at his feet, joins in his mission, and walks in his path. And the amazing part of this whole story is this. We may want to run and hide from Jesus, but the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is he comes to us and says, come to me, do not fear. I'm staying in the boat that a sinner like me is not disqualified from serving the living Christ that a sinner like me can be clean and free and righteous, that that, that that salvation that Jesus offers me is spilling over and more than enough for all of my sin, that, that his cleansing and his righteousness is more than enough for me, and that he makes a sinner like me, and he calls me son. How? How is that possible? I'll tell you why. Isaiah tells us in chapter 6, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. I'm unclean, I'm ruined. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand that he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. He saw the holy God, but his sin was sizzled away. And lo and behold, the one in the boat would take that hot coal, and in his own flesh, he would be seared for our sin in our place. And he took that coal for us that we might be forgiven. What is our response to this? What is Isaiah's response? Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. Hallelujah, what a Savior. But not just our Savior, the Lord of glory.